again, our passage this morning is 2 Timothy 2, uh, starting in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy useful to the master of the house and ready for every good work. Thank you, Peter. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we speak now with our words as we have sung that you would build your church, uh, build us up into a house that brings you great glory. I pray that you would help each of us to find our place, to seek ways to make a contribution, that those who see us and watch us and come in to partake among us would see that we are uh, your family, united under Christ, that we have a deep love for you, deep love for one another. And I pray that your spirit would help us in our weaknesses, especially help us to love. We pray that the love with which you have loved us would fill us to overflowing so that we, gushing with your love, would overflow our cup and love one another. This morning as we take a look at the 19th instruction that you've given to us in First and Second Timothy, I pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would help us in the implementation of your word. Uh, guard my tongue, Lord. Help me to be faithful to the text, to your intent. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me and speak through me in spite of me. Uh, for who am I? Uh, just a, a weak man in need of grace. And so, Lord, I pray, glorify yourself by your spirit through your word and build up your church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you uh, are getting the uh, emails that I send periodically. Uh, how many of you do get them or do they go to your junk mail? they called Grace and Peace. Okay, check your junk mail. Because uh, periodically I do send out uh, a midweek letter to you. And, and in this week's letter, I said, you know, we're coming to the halfway point of 2 Timothy. Uh, and so we're, we're covering a lot of ground quite quickly. We have, after this week, three more weeks and we're done the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, and the elders have decided that our discipleship groups will have run their course uh, at the end of uh, the preaching of 2 Timothy. So we only have four or maybe five weeks together in those discipleship groups 
that remain. And I just want to take this time before we get into the text here to thank you for your commitment to those groups. Uh, I know it, it's a sacrifice, right? It is a sacrifice to say, no, I, I'm going to prioritize this time every week to go out and, and I'm going to go uh, with a group of others and we're going to go into the text that I, I've just heard about and go through it again. So thank you for your devotion to that and your commitment. The whole reason that we did these discipleship groups in the first place is that we want the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy uh, to become so ingrained in our church. Uh, and in order for it to become uh, the, the heartbeat of our church, it has to be a part of the very fabric of our individual lives. Uh, and I hope that what each of us has come to see is that you know, these books that maybe weren't that familiar to us six months ago, uh, we, we get these books. We understand and we know what are in these books. And, and yeah, we might wrestle with them a little bit, and, and sure, we could get to know them a little bit more, but we're on course. Because at South Shore, we are going to be a church of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And so the more that we're in these books together, the more we'll know what we're trying to accomplish, what we're setting out to achieve, how we are supposed to behave in the household of God. So, we transition now in the letter of 2 Timothy from the first major section to the second major section. Now the first major section was, if you remember from last week, all about how to endure in the context of the local church when there is resistance and opposition. And just so you know, like that is just a problem that every local church since the beginning of the church has had to face. It's not something that we might have to experience it or we might not. The Apostle Paul planted churches and every one of them struggled to stay together, to stay united. So, so this is something that's just common to life in the church. And if you've ever heard of the perfect church, it's because you don't go there. But if you're in the church, you know that, you know what, sometimes it's hard. So, so that first half that we've looked at of Second Timothy, is all about, well, how do you endure when it's tough in the local church? And by God's mercy and grace, there's seasons, right? You have seasons of great peace and tranquility and togetherness and, and forward momentum. And then you have seasons that are a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging. And so that's the way it's going to be. So when you're in those difficult seasons, how do you endure through those seasons? Now, now Today's text is the beginning of the second half of the letter, which is all about how do you address resistance and opposition in the local church. That is, when you're storming as a church, you don't want to keep storming, right? You want to come through the storm. You want, you want the storm to eventually calm. Well, how do you get to the calm? That's what we're about to look at now for the next four sermons. So one today and then three more weeks. How, when, when we do come into seasons of storm, conflict, resistance, how do we get ourselves back to the calm waters? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, right through to the end of the book, will show us how to do that. So, let's take a look here. Verse 14, which I tagged on to the last uh, verse of the first section, could almost be seen as the first verse of the second section. So, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 is a hinge verse. 
Uh, what I mean by that, it's a verse that sort of summarizes how to endure and introduces how to address. So having talked about how to endure, let's just take a look at verse 14. Paul says, remind them of these things. What things? Well, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 13. We're not going to go over that all again. But remind them of how to endure. And then charge them before God in light of these amazing things that I've reminded you about the gospel, right? Remember last week? Jesus is the Christ, the yes to all of God's promises. He's been raised from the dead. He's defeated death. We sung about it this morning. It's going to come back for us, and we're going to defeat death along with him as he raises us from the dead. And then he's the offspring of David. He has built a holy temple of which we are living stones. He's the offspring of David, the one who will reign forever. Oh, those are no small promises. So in light of all of that, don't quarrel. In other words, put things in perspective. That's how we left off last week. And, and that's the beginning of this week. Uh, when we find ourselves storming as a church, or any church for that matter, finds themselves in that position, it's really helpful for everyone to step back and put it in perspective. Well, what are we arguing about? And I put that in the voice of any local church. What, what's the problem here? And, and does that have anything that can compare with the glory of the gospel and of Jesus Christ? Now, as we get into today, Paul takes that exhortation a little bit further. He says, so having charged people to keep the right perspective, to focus on Jesus and the promises of the gospel, what we're going to look at today is you've got to get your Bible out. If you are going through challenges, conflict, resistance in the local church, the worst thing that you could do as a church is to keep your Bible shut. So today, we're going to look, it's divided into three sections. Today, the exhortation is, or the instruction is, all church conflict must be addressed by the Word of God. So open the Bible. And what we're going to see here is Paul gives Timothy three images. that He says, this is how you address conflict in the local church. I'm just going to list them, and then we're going to go through each of them in order. The first one is, uh, be like a skilled tradesman. The second one is, be like a compassionate doctor. And the third is, be like clean, fine china. Now, what does that all have to do with the Bible? That's our assignment this morning. So, with your Bibles open, let's take another look at verse 15. What we're going to see in 2 Timothy 2.15 is Paul exhorting Timothy, but then Timothy reads this letter to the church and exhorts everyone likewise. So, this is an exhortation for all of us, not just the pastor, not just the elders, but for all of us. And the exhortation is like an able tradesman skillfully uses his tools, right? If you're a tradesman, if you don't know how to use your tools, you're not a very good tradesman. But just as an able tradesman skillfully uses his tools, so skillfully use your tool, which is the Word of God. Skillfully use the Bible. Take a look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker was no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
Now, I've zoned in on the image of the worker. And the reason I say tradesman, skillfully using his tools, is this rightly handling the word of truth. If we were to translate that more woodenly or more literally, it's cut straight the word of God. So, so perhaps Paul has in mind a carpenter. Just like a carpenter who has to cut straight lines, so cut straight the Word of God. Uh, use the Word of God the way it's intended to be used and, and build something beautiful with it. I want to give you an example from one of our own, our brother Yosef. Many of you know what he does for a living. And I've asked him if I could share this. Uh, he lays floors. Now, I've laid floors, and I was very glad that I laid a floor in my basement where nobody would go. It was like the cellar because I didn't do it very well. And, I, it, you know, it was not concrete after I was done, but it was crooked, and it, was, it beveled, and it was up and down. And then if you ever looked along the baseboard, there were some gaps that were an inch and some gaps that were a quarter of an inch, and it was all jagged and crooked. Not very good. I'm not an able tradesman. But Yosef does this for a living. He's very careful. He never is in a rush. And, and him and I have talked about his trade, and, and he will go through, and he'll just sort of get a sense for the room. He'll figure out what he needs to do before he does it. He assesses it. Then he very carefully takes measurements. And then very slowly he marks where he needs to cut. And just a couple of weeks ago, he was saying to me, after he had laid down a floor, he looked at it and he said, hey, marvel, he praised God. And he said, if I just cut that a quarter inch this way or a quarter inch that way, it wouldn't have lined up. But he cut it straight. And then he laid it in straight, one piece very carefully at a time. Every piece mattered. Because when you're done, it doesn't matter if 90% of the floor looks great. If 10% looks bad, that's all people will notice. So just like Yosef goes to work every day and works hard, to cut straight, to lay the floor straight. So I, so the elders, so we must take the same care to rightly cut or cut straight, rightly handle the Word of God. The only way to do this, I mean, if you're a tradesman, the only way to do it is to practice, to do it over and over and over again. You get better. You should, you should also apprentice under somebody. Is is ideal, right? Discipleship. Apprentice under someone who can teach you the trade. A and then as you get better, you go out on your own. And then you just get better and better and better and better. And if I were to go and work with Yosef for a day, it would make no sense for me to start telling him how to lay the floor. Because he's put in the time. He has the experience. And so if I was to ever ride along with Yosef, I would come to him and say, what do you want me to do? And just another funny story, uh, Wayne Brown made our bookshelf, my bookshelf, up in the office, and I was completely useless to him. Uh, but I stood there, and, and I just waited for him to tell me to lift that and move that, and I was just terrible. I was not a very good apprentice. But I didn't tell him how to build the bookshelf. I wouldn't tell Yosef how to lay the floor. So it is in the church. We all must rightly handle the Word of God. We all must cut it straight. But then we should also look to those who has put the time in to know where to make the cut, to rightly handle the Word of truth. If we have any hope of addressing opposition in the church, we must 
skillfully use the Bible. Let's not be haphazard. Let's not pull verses here and there. Let's not pull things out of context. Let's, let's not impose what we want it to say, but let's just cut it straight. And together, let's work on that. Now, I want to note, before we transition to the second image of the compassionate doctor, there is a temptation that I am familiar with. The temptation is taking a pulse of popular opinion about what any passage might say. Say, well, if I gravitate toward popular opinion, maybe I do a little injustice to the text, but I think I could fit it in. Here's the problem. If, if we preach or teach or cut lines to please any given group of people in the church, what happens in five years when a whole nother group of people have come into the church and then they challenge that interpretation because they don't see it the same way? Can you show us the biblical reason that you are making such decisions? If you haven't cut straight the first time because you thought, well, it was a shortcut to peace and unity and tranquility in the church, then you will have to pay the cost down the road if you did not cut straight. Because then you have to humble yourself and say, well, actually, I don't have a biblical reason for why we interpret it that way. Therefore, better to pay any cost up front. Measure twice, cut once. Get it straight the first time so that you don't have to double back down the road. And uh, that's just very helpful as we're looking at the Bible. What does it say? Do the work up front. So that's the first one. Like an able tradesman, skillfully uses his tool, so skillfully use the Bible. Now we come into the second image in this text. And I want to come into this image very carefully. This is uh, a difficult image that Paul gives to Timothy. It's gruesome. Uh, it's challenging. It's all about being a compassionate doctor. Paul says to Timothy, like a compassionate doctor, you must amputate gangrened limbs. Now, before we jump to application, let's just linger in this image for a moment. Gangrene is not something you ever want to see. No doctor wants to come to visit a patient and to find out that there's gangrene. And the longer the gangrene has been untreated, the worse it is. The worse it looks, the worse it smells, the worse it feels, the more danger the patient is in. And no compassionate doctor wants to amputate a limb, right? If there's any other solution to save the life of the patient, the doctor will take that solution. If there's any way to save the arm, we save the arm if you're a compassionate doctor. The last thing you want in your doctor is someone who just is looking for opportunities to amputate limbs. You don't want that doctor. If you have that kind of a doctor, get a new doctor. You want a doctor that just hates this. Now, now let's just transition this then to Timothy. We know, as, as John Piper says about Timothy, he was constitutionally timid. I like the way 
Piper says that. He was constitutionally timid. It, it, the way that God created Timothy was he didn't like conflict. He did not want to assert himself. He didn't like the, the, the burden and the weight of headship that was put on him at his ordination. He was timid. He wasn't weak, but he lent it leaned in the weak direction. Uh, he would rather just avoid the conflict, not address it. Which is exactly why I believe Paul uses this image of gangrene. What happens if you just look the other way on gangrene? It spreads. And so, remember, Paul and Timothy have this close relationship. And Paul says, Timothy, I know you. I know you, you would rather not deal with the problems in the Ephesian church. I know that you would rather just cover them up with love and mercy and grace, but you cannot cover up gangrene with love and mercy and grace. Because if you do that, you're not actually loving the body. You're not actually extending grace to the body. You're putting the body at danger of death. Timothy, the loving thing, the compassionate thing to do, if you see gangrene, is to amputate the limb to save the patient. So, this image, and I haven't even got to the text yet, but I just wanted to focus our minds on what Paul is saying. This is not about go in and, and chop this limb off and that limb off and be aggressive and be reckless, be premature. Be sober, be compassionate, rightly assess the situation. If there's any other alternative, any other uh, solution, find that solution. But if it's gangrene, if it's spreading, got to deal with it it's not something timothy wanted to hear it should not be something that any elders team wants to hear this is a hard thing lastly before we look at the text which one of us would like to be given the scalpel and told take the limb anyone and i'm talking about in the image of, the, of a patient who actually has gangrene and the only way to save his or her life is to amputate the limb. Anyone want to pick up the knife? And as the amputation is happening, is there anyone who enjoys? It's something you do just not wanting to do it. And so it should be when we apply this to the church. Take a look at verses 16 to 19. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart 
from iniquity. So I just want to go through and, and notice some things. It says, avoid. We might take, you see that in the beginning of verse 16? We might take that word and say, avoid irreverent babble. Well, just don't participate in it. We might think, well, as long as I'm not a part of that conversation, I'm avoiding it. Just keep that in your mind and see if that's really what Paul is suggesting. Timothy, just don't worry about Hymenaeus and Philetus. They got whacked out doctrine. And just don't be a part of it. Let them just sort of continue on with their false teaching. Is that what Paul really means by avoid irreverent babble? Secondly, what is irreverent babble? A reverent babble is, as we go down, it's heresy. The example that Paul gives is that Hymenaeus and Philetus, verse 18, they have swerved from the truth. Heresy. This is serious, right? This, these are not minor doctrinal differences. These are not small disagreements. Well, you know, I would have said it that way or I would have said it that way. Or This isn't like, well, you know, these are all within the realm of possible interpretations. This is clear, outright heresy that undercuts the gospel. Because what these men were saying was that the resurrection had already taken place. And they weren't talking about Jesus' resurrection. They were talking about our own. They are saying, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a new creature in Christ. That's the resurrection. And what Paul's saying is, if that's your understanding of the resurrection, then you have no hope. And the gospel is undermined because the promise is that when we die, we will be raised back to life in physical bodies to live forever with Christ. So anything less than that needs to be addressed. So irreverent babble is outright heresy. And just to sort of um, add to this, Heresy in itself doesn't need to be amputated. It's when someone who holds a heretical position begins to promote that position and upsets the faith of some, right? That's exactly what we hear, see here. They said that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Now, when we read the word upsetting, what we kind of think of is, oh, you know, I'm upset. I'm emotionally upset about that. That's not what this word is. This word is like a boat, out in the middle of the ocean. If you upset a boat in the middle of the ocean, it sinks. So Hymenaeus and Philetus were heretics undermining the gospel and they were promoting their heresy to the point where they were capsizing the faith of people in the church. Paul says you can't, you can't look the other way. And he says that kind of undermining of the gospel and promoting and leading others into a capsized faith needs to be treated the same way that gangrene is treated. I want to say two things about gangrene. Number one, the sooner you identify that someone has gangrene, the less you have to amputate. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if it's even possible to cure gangrene. That's something I didn't check out. I don't even know. Maybe it's possible, I don't know, that you could even address, before it gets too bad, you could heal it before you need any amputation. I don't know. But I do know this. Gangrene spreads until it takes the whole body. 
So if you only have to chop off two fingers, that's a lot better than the whole hand. And the whole hand is better than right up to the elbow. And the whole elbow down is better than the whole arm. You see what I'm saying? Which means then, if, if we're taking this very literally as to what Paul is saying to Timothy, is the sooner you address these problems, the better it is for everyone, the less damage it is to the church. But remember what the goal of Timothy is, what the goal of a pastor is, what the goal of elders is. It's always to save the life of the body. We always have to be concerned about the body. The body of Christ, which is the church. And so, that is what we must focus on. Now, you might challenge me and say, well, I don't see any exhortation for amputation. Adam, are you reading that in? No, and I'll give you five reasons why, and then we'll move on to our third and final image. Number one is just the image of gangrene. The image of gangrene necessarily comes with the image of amputation. If something spreads like gangrene and the solution to gangrene is amputation, you're not really explaining the text if you don't take gangrene and talk about amputation. So that might be enough, but if that's not satisfying, um, there's the second part which we talked about is that gangrene spreads. And that whole idea of getting it before it spreads too far. They're upsetting the faith of, of whole groups. Implicit to Paul's instruction to Timothy is deal with this now before you have to address it with more and more people. It's spreading, Timothy. And, and, and the only way to stop it from spreading is to deal with it right away. Thirdly, the mention of Hymenaeus. Hymenaeus was not a problem to Timothy. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, let me just read you exactly what he says. By rejecting this, that is good doctrine, sound teaching that leads to love, some have made shipwreck of their faith. It's the same image of upsetting the faith of some capsizing a boat. They've made shipwreck of their faith. And now look at this, verse 20. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, I have already amputated Hymenaeus from the body. Now, I mean, these are pretty stark images, right? Amputation is bad. How about handing someone over to Satan? I mean, Paul is saying this is serious and it needs to be dealt with in serious ways. And so when he references Hymenaeus, now there's a chance that there were two Hymenaeuses. I tend to think that they're one and the same man. And what Paul is saying, look, you saw what I did with Hymenaeus. I booted him out of the church. I handed him over to Satan. I exercised church discipline. I amputated him from the body. What, choose your image or your word. But Paul's saying, I, I, I did that. And now you need to do that. Follow my example. Two more reasons. The word avoid, verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. Paul uses it one other time in the pastoral epistles. And he uses it in Titus chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Just flip over and take a look. 
Titus chapter 3, it's just the next book, verses 9 through 11, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. That's very much the same context, right? So Titus is in Crete, Timothy's in Ephesus. That should be encouraging to us that this is just a problem in local churches, period. But then, so the word avoid there is the same word that he uses to Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And then look at this. As for a person who stirs up division, so someone who's promoting something that's contrary to the gospel, contrary to church unity, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. In other words, if we are to impose the image, amputate him. So not right away. Give him a couple of chances. Address it. Okay. He's doing it again. Address it a second time. Still doing it. Now you have to be like a compassionate doctor and cut him off. Verse 11, because we know that such people, if they're warned once and then twice, and they're still promoting heresy and and, uh, disunity and subordination, divisions, as Paul says to Titus, those people are warped and sinful and self-condemned. So that's the fourth reason. You see the same process of removal in the book of Titus connected with the word avoid. And then finally, in verse 19, Paul uh, cites Numbers 16 twice. Take a look at verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Uh, We don't have time to get into it, but go back some time and read Numbers 16. I'll give you just the thumbnail sketch of this, the very brief overview. This is Moses and Aaron are in leadership while Israel is walking around in the wilderness. And a Levite by the name of Korah organizes a subordinate rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And we're told there that the Lord knows who he chose to lead. And that's this first citation. The Lord knows who are his. That is, who did God choose? Moses and Aaron or Korah and company? Now what happened to Korah is that the Lord opened up the earth and swallowed him and everyone that was following after him and took him away, quite literally, from Israel. In other words, the Lord amputated him from the camp of Israel because he was insubordinate and tried to overthrow God's selected leadership. So in all five of those examples, what you see is this idea of cutting off, removing, amputating, handing over to Satan, swallowing up into the earth, whatever it is, but take very seriously the health of the body of Christ. That's hard, isn't it? And that is the, the, the challenging task of elders, but we all, there's principles in this for all of us, none of us ought to become gangrene. Like that's the best thing. It would be wonderful if we never had to amputate 
anyone for gangrene in the church. And so we can work together. And I'm so thankful to be in this church because uh, though, like all churches, we have our bumps at times, we're a group of men and women who love the Word of God, are committed to the Word of God, and there's so many people here who, who support the direction of the church, want to get involved, get, get on board, and be a constructive, upbuilding member. And for that, uh, you and this church are to be commended, and I'm so thankful. Um, but this is not something that we need to really address right now in the life of the church. But this is instruction looking forward uh, for things that we need to keep in mind. Let's move on now to the third image. So the first image was to be like a, a, an able tradesman who skillfully uses his tools. That is, if you want to address resistance and opposition in the church, well, make sure uh, that you're using the Bible. Don't try to get out of conflict by your own wisdom. Use the Bible. The second image was there will be times when you have to use the Word of God to remove a limb the sooner the better. The third image really comes and reflects on uh, Timothy very directly. And this image is, like fine china, cleanse yourself so that you can be useful to the master of the house. In other words, if you're going to uh, rightly handle the word of God, if you're going to sometimes pick up the scalpel to be a compassionate doctor, you better be clean yourself. There's no good if you're a dirty dish, Timothy. And so you need to use the Word of God to make sure that you're clean because you're only useful to God if you yourself are clean. That is, if you yourself are, are reading the Word of God, learning the Word of God, applying the Word of God to yourself, then you can teach others. It, it does no good to preach one thing and to contradict your preaching and that's true for the preacher, but it's true for all of us. It's no good for us to uh, take the Word of God and to uh, use it constructively or in more difficult circumstances with others if we're not turning it in on ourselves. And that's what this last image is all about. Take a look at verses 20 and 21. Now, in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There's a couple of things I want to say about this. The one is that Paul, having just come out of an image of amputation, then follows it up with this image of, you know, there are different vessels in a house. You have gold and silver, you have wood and clay. They're not all used for the same thing. So this is kind of like Jesus' parable of, of the, the grain and the weeds, right? You don't just go and rip up all the, all the weeds because you might rip up some grain at the same time. Um, or more than that, not everyone is going to be equally conformed to the Word of God in the local church. And you don't want to be overly destructive. In a house, you can have uh, a vessel or a, a, a chalice of, of gold and silver that you bring out when the guests come over. And you can have a wood or, or a clay vessel that you drink out of uh, day by day. And not everyone has the same function in the local church. And don't be too severe with people. Not everyone needs to be gold and silver. That's, that's encouraging, right? We can be a bit of a mixed bag in that sense. But what Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're the leader. 
you need to be like gold and silver. If you're going to be useful, if you're going to rightly handle the word of God, and sometimes you're going to have to serve the church like a compassionate doctor, you yourself need to be clean. You're not useful if you're not like a gold or silver vessel, like fine china. And that's basically the whole, the whole image. Like fine china, those who cleanse themselves, and by cleansing, what do we mean? Applying the Word of God to your life. If you want to be useful in this local church, if you want to rise up to become a teacher, men, those who aspire to the position of overseer desire a noble task. That's 1 Timothy 3.1. If you want to be an elder in the church, if you want to be useful in that sense, you need to cleanse yourself. You've got to be in the Word of God, turn the Word of God in on yourself, allow it to convict you of sin, make changes in your life, be honest about where you fall short. Women, do you want to be uh, constructive in the life of, of other women? Do you want to make disciples of children? Same thing. The more we cleanse ourselves, the more useful we are to God. And so it applies not just to the pastor, not just to the elders, but to all of us. What ties these three illustrations together? Well, the context does. There's conflict in the local church. And we're transitioning to how do you address that conflict? Paul says, Timothy, you are to address opposition in the Ephesian church by making a radical commitment to the Word of God. You're not going to get through this, Timothy, if you are not wholly devoted to the sacred Scriptures. You can't think your way out of this one. You can't politic your way out of this. You can't uh, feel your way out of this. You can't run away. The only thing that you can do is open your Bible, get into it, look for the solutions in the Scriptures, and then bring those solutions before the church. That's all you can do. And so if we ever find ourselves in a storm, this is the commitment that the elders give to you. We are going to navigate through any storm in this church and our tools of navigation, our compass, is the Word of God. It's not what we think. It's not what we want. It's not how we feel. It's not gauging popular opinion. It's what do the Scriptures say. And when we come to a position where we think this is what it, what it says, we're going to do everything that we can to bless the church, to guard the church, to be a healing doctor or, or, or to bring healing like a compassionate doctor to the church because we know that God loves this church and so do we so like skilled tradesmen let us all endeavor to cut the Bible straight like a compassionate doctor let us rightly diagnose when things are going the wrong direction deal with it sooner rather than later but ultimately do the hard work of amputation when and if necessary. And like fine china, let's not disqualify ourselves by preaching the word and then not doing it ourselves. So we need to constantly be cleansing ourselves, honestly, 
exposing ourselves to the Word of God so that we can be useful to God to do the work of ministry. Summarize it all, the 19th instruction to the church is that we are to address all church conflict by the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your scripture and that you have in three different ways showed us how we can maintain unity and health and vibrancy and zeal by devoting ourselves to the scriptures, by committing ourselves to what you have said, not, not turning to the right or to the left, and Lord, I know that there will be challenging times ahead as we seek to apply the Bible to our own lives individually, the lives of our families, and to the life of our church. But I pray for your mercy. I pray for your help. Help us to be faithful in this task, able workers with no need to be ashamed. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.